Good morning, fiddle and pipians, or afternoon, or evening, or middle of the night, whatever time of day it is. We hope that y'all had a restful and enjoyable Thanksgiving, and happy December. Hard to believe it's the end of the year, which is pretty wild. Time goes so fast. Speaking of time going by fast, I just wanted to very quickly give some morning announcements. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash fiddleandpipe. There for $5 a month, you will have access to our happy hour podcast as well as outtakes and bloopers from each episode. We will have other content and other tier levels in the future. But in the meantime, we hope you all are able to join and contribute because at the end of the day, that's what makes this show possible. What we do will always be free. But if you think what we do is worth $1.25 a week, we really appreciate it. It allows us to update our equipment, buy books and research materials. Thank you to Lauren and Rainer, who are supporting us on Patreon, who are helping each week to make this show possible. If you don't have the means to support us financially, You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to get us more accessible to other potential listeners, or you can sit a friend down and share our podcast with them. Tis the season for sharing. If you want to see more of our content, you can follow us on Instagram. The podcast is at Fiddle and Pipe. I'm at BM Ross Music, and Catherine is at Cat Flinch Flute. You can also follow us on Facebook at Fiddle and Pipe Forum, and... I think that's it. Keeping this one brief today. So here's the episode after a break and yeah, enjoy. Hi, I'm Brittany Ross and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Blencham and I play the pipe. And together we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat and tune in. Starting with Johnny Williams, right? I guess. Oh. Harry Potter and Jenna Williams. Yeah. Here we are again in person for another tasty episode of Fiddle and Pipe Podcast. Tasty. First tasty. of all, my podcast is the one that's tasty. Mm. Mm. With us again is Matt Richards of mm, Conversations. Yes, it's your boy Matt, and I'd be counting stacks. Still doesn't beat Catherine's rap. Uh, but, but, no. <laughs> no, we don't need to go back. There. We're 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 going to do a collab song, Cat featuring Matt, and it's gonna be a hit. Cat Matt. Cat Cat in the mat. Cat in the mat. Cat in the mat. The cat in the mat. Wait, can we actually do this? I would I would see that band. <laughs> no, I mean we can. Can we make a mixtape now? Please? Okay, go. I, I want to make an ex, uh, I want to make an EP with Cat. Right. Right here, right now? Yeah, go Oh, for that's it. what we're doing today. Oh, are, okay. are you able to? Um, Just well, do it on the I don't spot? know about you, but I'm not Chinese, but I don't got no fried rice. 
But in order to get that, you're gonna have to pay the price. Um, well, my name is Kat. I, I don't live in a hat, and fear me, I have a baseball bat. Oh, what? <laughs> oh! <laughs> I'll, oh! I'll be the hype. <laughs> and it's, yes, it's time to get super hype. You know why? Because it's a new episode of Fiddle and Pipe. Whoa! What? Rhyme, like, right there. They I'm call not, me I'm... a jail cell because I got bars. <laughs> I'm not competing, am I? Because I feel like I'm automatically out. <laughs> Just for uh, existing with this talent. How to scare away your viewers. Have us rap. Did we learn this in music school? They should have a, as part of the music education curriculum, they really should have a hip hop class. They really should. Well, in the history of rock and roll, that was led by Trey Wright. Oh um, yeah, that there, was a thing. There was a section where we learned about hip hop and rap, but I missed that day because I had to go to a wedding. So. Well, clearly you didn't so. need the class anyway, so. I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> I just knew my, I knew my craft and I knew it well. Exactly. <laughs> she was out here in these streets. In Woodstock. Like rapping that. all over these beats. And I know what I want to eat. It's fried rice. <laughs> yeah. Chicken fried rice. Chicken fried rice. Specifically. <laughs> Chicken fried rice. You can't beat that. If y'all want to know what we're referencing, if we get 700 patron, patrons <laughs> on Patreon... Catherine will drop a video from 2009. Uh, February 19th, to be exact. Where she raps. And we're not talking about presents. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, that's got to be a new goal. Oh, man. 700 people. Yeah, so when we get 700, then we'll share it. Yes. Yeah. You know, you can make goals on Patreon, right? Um, Okay, well, we're not going to tier Different tier (laughs) rewards. Actually, we do have two patrons. Yes. Lauren and Rainer hey. signed yeah. up for our... Thank hey. you, Lauren and Rainer. For... Best friends. Rainer. Yes. <laughs> I like saying his name that way. So what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about Harry Potter. And specifically, the music from Harry Potter. Mm. And who composed the music? Four different people. Wait, are you serious? Yeah. Yes. So to start the first three... Movies were done by everyone's favorite, Mr. John Williams, mm-hmm. the maestro himself. Mm-hmm. Um, in Goblet of Fire, uh, it was Patrick Doyle, was his name. Nemo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and Bingo was his Nemo. Uh, Is in... Bingo the last composer? <laughs> Bingo? No. Bingo. <laughs> um, the fifth and sixth movies were Nicholas Hooper. And then the last two were Alexandre Desplat. And I don't want to butcher that name, but it's French. Yeah, I remember when I first looked at it after I saw the movie. Hey, Valkyrie. Can you do that somewhere else? <laughs> somewhere else you mean in the kitchen? Hey, Valkyrie. She's like, I want to be where the people are. <laughs> a bit basically. I know. <laughs> Hi. I thought it was like Alexandre Desplat. Yeah, I mean, Black. we're Americans. We're like Alexander Desplat. But I will say Desplat. this. He did a really great job. He did a good job ending the series, yes. Mm-hmm. So this is actually news to me because I thought John Williams did all of the Harry Potter no, movies. No, he really started the first three. Why I mean, is that? Probably because he had other things to do. Yeah, because he, I mean, he was the most in-demand person. Yeah. Because he was doing the other two Star Wars movies that were coming out at the mm-hmm. time. He did Memoirs of the Geisha that came out mm-hmm. in 2004. He did Lincoln, he did... In fact, let me just pull up his uh, filmography real quick, because yeah. he, he was busy in the 2000s. He went to music school, and he was like, I'm going to compose music, and now he's like rich as hell. Yeah. I would be interested to see why they didn't have him just do the whole series. 
I wonder if it's a money issue. If it's he probably, probably, I mean, he was so in demand, he probably just didn't have time to do it all at, or um, without a compromising of something. Money. Yeah. Didn't the Harry Potter budgets grow as the movies progressed? Though that's kind of why they I'm. Did. They got more expensive too. They did, and they also had to like they had deadlines they had to meet. Mm. I'm sure they got expensive because they had to pay people that like these high end actors and actresses mm-hmm. to play these characters. I'm sure yeah, as... it got more expensive to pay the lead actors mm-hmm. and especially the famous actors who were playing the professors and stuff. Yeah. Like I imagine Maggie Smith was probably like really expensive to get in those movies. Oh yeah. And Alan Rickman, Michael Gambone, all those people were probably like, where's my check? Like, yeah. And then, like, if you think about set design, editing, mm-hmm. special effects. Yeah, the effects got really complicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the effects from the first movie, you're just like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> that little troll that doesn't look real at all. <laughs> it's like swinging his club around. Some so, nice 2000, 1999 exactly. magic right there. <laughs> so I just looked it up because I am really prepared for our podcast and I do my research ahead of time. So apparently he had... Four major projects come out in 2005. Yep. What were the other movies that he composed for? Revenge of the, the Sith. Sith was the big one. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I can't wait to talk about on Patreon. Yep. Check out our Patreon. Talk, hear me talk about Revenge of the Sith. That's my shit. Yeah. Geisha was the other one. Mm-hmm. And then the, you said there was four? Four major projects, yeah. That just seems um, so long ago, too. Oh. What I can find is really more speculation than a definite Yeah, I mean, the man, the man was really just in demand. He was in yeah. demand... He was one of the best and most successful film composers, exactly. especially of that time period. So people are saying that it's fair to assume that the filmmakers weren't overly motivated to do whatever it took to bring him back since other less famous composers would be cheaper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they had deadlines to meet and it's just like, okay, we'll just go with this new person. Apparently John Williams was asked back to score the last Harry Potter movie, mm-hmm. but his schedule wouldn't was not going to be able to line up with the filming deadlines. Yeah. And that, and that's really usually what it comes down to with things like this. It's like deadlines and cost effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Cuz especially when you get franchises like this, you got to get these movies out. So, so, so I, I will say this, uh, John Williams is the reason I went to music school. Really? Yeah, yes. that's nice. The first CD I remember listening to over and over and over again was Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Mm. I had that CD and I listened to it nonstop for like a while. I just think about Hagrid's bird. That is the one where that one's from. <laughs> yes, exactly. Anybody that plays flute, you better know what I'm talking about. Exactly. And if you don't, get Jeannie Backstresser's uh, second orchestral excerpt book and you'll know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So John Williams was born in 1932. Wow, I didn't Mm -hmm. realize that. He's an American composer, conductor, pianist, and trombonist. Look at him. He is the second most nominated individual for Academy Awards Mm -hmm. after Walt Disney. That's crazy. Yeah, so like I said, he this has, man is in demand. Okay, just mm-hmm. reading off of Wikipedia, because this is in, kind of insane. Williams has won 25 Grammy Awards, 7 British Academy Film Awards, 5 Academy Awards, and 4 Golden, oh my God, Golden Globe Awards, mm-hmm. 52 Academy Award nominations. Uh, in 2005, the American Film Institute selected Williams' score to... The original Star Wars as the greatest film score of all time. I mean, can't 
we yeah i'm not gonna the library of congress also entered the star wars soundtrack into the national recording registry for being for being culturally historically or aesthetically significant Mm -hmm. wow yeah so what a career this man is literally like the titan of film music Mm -hmm. everybody is compared to him when you when you're listening to film music i wonder does he like teach anybody I'm sure he must have over the In years. composition? Yeah, I'm sure he must have at some point. Yeah, I'm surprised, like, if you became, like, a professor, like, at some college, like, at, like, at Juilliard or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they've probably had him, like, as a temporary staff position at some point. Yeah. Because a, a lot of composers and uh Or, like, a, a guest, that. or what do they call... Yeah, I can't like, think of the word of what they're called. Guest faculty? Yeah. Or, like, a artist in residence? Yeah, something like yeah. that, yeah. I'm sure he's most. They, several people have probably tried to get him. Where does he live? Does he live in like L.A.? He lives on the Death Star. On the Death Star. He made <laughs> he made enough money with his grandma. Yeah, he's like he's I'm like, gonna build a Death Star by myself. He's like living in space and nobody knows about it. And every, people always say about him whenever they watch movies that he wrote music for, they're like, "This movie was trash." But John Williams, though, like, <laughs> I could listen to that all day. I know. So he, what else did he write for? Indiana Jones, Jaws. Star, Star Wars, Wars, Superman, mm-hmm. E.T., E.T., um, Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park. Mm-hmm. Schindler's List, Schindler's, Schindler's List, uh, Saving Private Ryan, the first I, two Home Alones, Home Alone. yes, the good ones you mean, <laughs> the only two that they made, right? <laughs> Close two. Encounters of the Third Kind. That's a Heard weird, of it. weird movie. Never seen haven't it. seen it. It's another Spielberg movie. I didn't know he wrote for Schindler's List. Well, it's it's Steven Spielberg. Isn't, yeah, that's a Spielberg movie too, right? Yeah. Is yeah. it really? Mm-hmm. I think so. Hmm. I, I've never seen it. So. Wait, you I, haven't seen Schindler's List? No, I think okay. I talked about it with Woody, and we, I wanted to watch it, but we need to watch have. it when you're ready to cry. Yeah, it is Steven Spielberg. It always like makes. Day. There's a part at the end that always makes me cry. I don't know if it's been so long. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I, I don't I, know I, if I want to. Don't don't say it now. We, yeah, we want we want to watch it. I don't it. want any spoilers. I okay, really it, watch it just it, it always makes me cry. It's, it's those type of movies that are like World War II epics like that are just like... Really tears at your heart crushing strings. a lot of the time. Ugh. He also did the theme music for the 1984 Summer Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, oh, yeah. the Olympic theme that everyone knows he did, is the he one he wrote. He also did the other one for 1996 as well. And that actually, I think we were talking yesterday about the piece we played in Wind Ensemble. Mm-hmm. I think it was at one of those July 4th spectacular uh, celebrations. Oh, yeah. And we, it was the Olympic theme that we played. I remember that. Do you no. know the Sunday Night Football? He uh, did that. Yeah, he did that. Yep. Um, the mission theme used by... Mission Impossible? No, used by NBC News and 7 News in Australia. Mm-hmm. He wrote for the television series Lost in Space and The Land oh. of the Giants. Mm-hmm. He did the incidental music for the first season of Gilligan's Island. Oh. <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, I mean, just just by listing all of these off, he's written so many recognizable things. And how come? Does anybody know? He's magical. Well, he basically like you know, dun dum, dun up like the Jaws theme, and then Star Wars. He kind of was. He was inspired by Wagner's late motifs. Really? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people have gone through and found all of his little influences. Specifically, mm-hmm. um, in Star Wars, the big influences are, I think, Rite of Spring. Yes. Mm. Uh, Wagner's operas. 
planets by Holst. Um, I can see that. Yeah, like you, that. the the entire end of the movie is Mars, so straight up. When I I think it was Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. There's a part where Anakin is at. He's um. What are they called? The Sand People. Oh, the Tuscans. Tuscan Tuscan Raiders. It's when he's trying to find his mom. Mm-hmm. And I was watching this, and I realized it when I was watching it. The Rite of Spring, the dun 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 yeah. dun 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 dun. That is it's in straight that. out of that. Yeah. But a lot of the reason for that is because George Lucas literally was like, "This is what I want in my movie. Can you write something that's basically this?" And he's like, "All right, sure." Also, he's like probably have. He has real good hookups because he's friends with like Steven Spielberg oh, yeah. and George Lucas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Spiel- Spielberg, when he did Jaws, he was like, and he called up John Williams. That was like a lifetime partnership that was built right there. Yeah. And they've worked together for like decades Gosh. after that. Forever. Just, like, sitting in a room with them and just like listening to them converse about like, this is what I want. Yeah, those three together on Indiana Jones is like. <clears throat> That's like Hollywood history right there. Yeah, literally. They should have like a, if they don't have like a, an exhibit. <laughs> They probably do. In the future. We should all take a field trip to LA and like find And go find, find John Williams and say hi. Patreon f- goals. Hi, John. Does I will say, if, if he I, dies... He's like 80-something. I so, doubt it. If this man dies before I see him live in concert, I will be very upset. They're, they better play Leia's theme at his funeral. They better play the leaving Hogwarts from the end of the first Harry Potter. Oh. They better play uh, the romance theme from Indiana Jones. They better play the going home theme from E.T. They better... And, they just, and then they finish it with Superman. Oh, actually, I'm, I'm I, planning out this funeral <clears throat> for him. It's going to be televised? It's going to be televised. It's, it's going to be a national holiday. Like, we're shutting everything down. National Day of Mourning? Yes. Johnny Williams Day. So do you want some fun facts from his life? Fun facts. Are you facts. on, like, Wikipedia or IMDb? Wait, I, I, I'm, every time you tell, say one that I know, I'm going to take a drink. Of water? Yes. Let's take a drink of water. Let's go. Because I like to stay hydrated, are we, children. Are fun we facts? prepping for our Patreon? Are we yes. doing some fun facts right now? Yes. Every, yeah. every time I know one, I'm taking a shot of water. He was born in Queens. Did not know that. His father was a jazz percussionist who played with the Raymond String... Or sorry, the Raymond Scott Quintet. Hmm. Interesting. Musical influence. Yep. Mm-hmm. He moved 16 years later to L.A., with his family, and he attended North Hollywood High School. He attended the University of California, Los Angeles, and studied composition privately with the Italian composer Mario Castle Cassini. What is that? Top. Uh, Mario Castelnuovo Tedesco. Yes. I don't know. I don't know if I said that. Never right. <laughs> heard of him ever. I wonder who what he wrote for. He joined the Air Force. I knew that. In 1951, and that's where he started arranging music. And he arranged music for the U.S. Air Force Band. That's cool. He was in the Air Force for four years, and he went to Juilliard, where he studied piano. Yep. He was originally set on becoming a concert pianist, but after hearing contemporary pianists like John Browning and Van Cliburn perform, switched his focus to composition. So he was probably like, oh God, they're so good. (laughs) As many other famous composers in classical music history, he was a pianist. Yeah. He I mean, also worked as a jazz pianist in a lot of the clubs, jazz clubs in the 50s mm-hmm. in New York City. Just a renaissance. Yeah. yeah. He really is. It's interesting because I didn't know that he had so much jazz influence in his background, but knowing that, it kind of makes a lot of his music kinda, make sense. Yeah, you kind of have to, to have that, that foundation. It really does mm-hmm. help with composition to have that background. 
mm-hmm. and uh, you know that studio experience. So he went to Juilliard and the Eastman School of Music. So he's already basically setting himself up. Mm-hmm. He returned to LA where he began working as an orchestrator at film studios. He was also a studio pianist and a session musician, performing on film scores by composers such as Jerry Goldsmith, Elmer hey. Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein, and Henry Mancini. Okay. Oh, snap. John Williams was the pianist for the soundtrack for the adaptation of uh, Bernstein's uh, West Side Story. Oh, Mm -hmm. nice. I didn't know that. Tonight, tonight. I'll see my love tonight. Oh, is that Agree on the words here. Yeah. Do you not know the words of West Side Story? I just know tonight, tonight. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Today, today. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Rolling music. (laughs) (laughs) We could do a musical episode. Oh, God. I mean, two or three of us just recently saw Hamilton. That is true. And Hamilton, actually, Lin-Manuel does a lot of the tricks that John Williams does in his music, which is why I like Hamilton so much. Is he influ- oh, I'm sure yeah. he's influenced by John Williams. For sure, yeah. You, you can see it. He He's also using the leitmotif like every... Because every single one of John Williams' themes goes with something. Yes. And I think that's what makes it so memorable. Yes. And I think... I'm um, not throwing away my... Shot. Yeah, I'm like that—that's like one character's theme. And I'm not throwing away my shot. Exactly. The leitmotif is such a powerful tool because it literally tells you the story. You mm-hmm. don't need the picture. You just yeah. listen to the music, and it tells you the story. Yeah, you just mm-hmm. need music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, and when I listen to the Star Wars soundtracks, it's literally like I can picture clearly everything he's getting across mm-hmm. just through the music by itself. Playing, I love playing Star Wars. It's so. It's fun. so good. Yeah. So fun. Yeah, even the new movies, which people have mixed emotions on, it's still his music, and it carries it for him. He played with an A minor arpeggio with Ray's theme. Mm-hmm. And I made my students play when they were le- learning their minor scales. Yep. Like, this is fun. You know he, Star Wars? <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll take a single idea, and he'll build on it. And especially for these big franchises where he's been in, there for all of them, it's like... A theme starts out as one thing, mm-hmm. and then it grows into something else, and then it means something else, and then when they make new movies, it means something else entirely. It's really interesting. The reason why I thought that John Williams wrote the music for all the Harry Potters is because his motifs are used throughout the movie. Well, that, so well, so yeah. here's the interesting thing, because you're right. Everybody, when they hear do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, they're like, that's the Harry Potter yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't appear in the movies as often as you think it would. Mm-mm. It's like it. I think it's it shows up once in the fifth one. Isn't it technically Hedwig's theme? Yeah, it's yes. called Hedwig's theme. Mm-hmm. It shows up once in the fifth film, like once in the sixth film, and then once at like the end of the last film. Yeah. So is that not John Williams's theme? It, 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 it is no, a theme, but yeah, he it's wrote transformed it. in a way because if you think about it too the story transforms, the characters transform. Yeah. So it's not always, I mean, at the beginning, it's like a really innocent childlike theme. And if mm-hmm. you think about it... Well, Harry Potter's time, such like a coming of age tale. Mm-hmm. And as it develops, the it hero's gets quest. darker, it gets more complex, and things develop over time. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense how these other composers that were composing took a little bit of that theme and kind of did their own little, like variations of it yeah like at the beginning of goblet of fire it's like really heavy and like it has a lot of strings and Mm -hmm. a lot of percussion whereas when it first appeared it was just a celeste and that was the only instrument at the beginning 
also playing Harry Potter. Have you guys ever played Harry Potter with an orchestra? Yeah, it's yes. really freaking hard. It's hard. It's really hard. Oh. There's a lot of like atonal things. Yeah. Thanks, Stravinsky. <laughs> yeah, oh no, but that's, actually, that's though. his Stravinsky influence. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Yeah, it never sounds because the the way that I normally hear it and normally play it and normally see it are the arranged versions that you give seventh yeah. or eighth grade orchestras, mm-hmm. which is it's not that bad. But even for them, for their skill yeah, level, it's them, challenging it's like, because they're like yeah. they're going from B natural to B flat to A yeah, well, natural that to A flat. It's like, it's like B E G F E. It's that interval right there. There's like a weird because you do B natural to B flat, and that's yeah. When string players start learning, for maybe our non-string playing friends. Well, I know you guys start like on the sharps more than you do the flats, correct? Yeah. So, string instruments, violin, viola, cello, bass, obviously don't have frets like a guitar. So you put tapes. Yes. That are kind of finger markers while they're learning how to play. Mm-hmm. And you teach them that, hey, you always put your fingers on these tapes. Always. Math. Except when. Except when you're playing these other notes. Then you move your fingers off the tapes and you play unmarked notes. So Harry Potter is often used in seventh grade orchestras mm-hmm. as an introduction to a low two instead of a high two. Mm-hmm. And it trips a lot of kids up. Yeah, because they're going from this hand shape to this hand shape. Yeah. Oh, so it's painful. Yeah, so your first finger will be closer to your third finger yeah. in your default position. And then in mm-hmm. if you're trying to play B flat, your second finger moves back to your first finger. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad that we have fingerings for different notes. Going back to the Harry Potter for a second, yes. John Williams wrote Hedwig's theme. Yeah. And it sort of kind of shows up in the later movies, but not really. Yeah. The problem is, is that... If you listen to all eight soundtracks back to back, they don't feel cohesive. Is that when you really notice that it's not done by the same person? Yes, you can. Re- if you listen to just Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix, you can tell it's not John Williams because it doesn't have the same texture, it doesn't have the same style of harmony, it doesn't. It's it's not as intricate. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds it as you get to the later movies, it starts to sound more like generic action movie music. And it's very ostinato like. Mm. It's mm. like it's very repetitive. His music is so challenging. Yeah, John Williams is he's like he, it's like he literally writes like a tone poem for his for the movies. I've played underranged Star Wars before. Mm-hmm. I had to practice that. Oh yeah, it's good though. And I was like, oh, I was like, I thought I played Star Wars before. Nope. Nope, you never yeah, played Star Wars. The before. ending where the violins have something like yeah, you have some wicked string crossings. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Is it? I wonder if it's the same like suite that I've been playing off of for like ever. No. Orchestra. Because I know that like for instance, he plays he puts a lot of like high C's and high B flats and high A's on piccolo, especially mm-hmm. like, I'm thinking about like Yoda scene where he's like da 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 da. And but like, like two octaves higher, right? Yes. And even <laughs> even the first note that the piccolo plays for the opening theme, it's a high B flat. So you're like, ee- yeah, yeah. That first chord is just like everybody blast your note as loud as possible. And I mentioned this in a previous episode. Is that like Tristan and Isolde? Is that the opening? The Tristan chord. I think it's just a B flat chord, but yeah. Isn't the that chord's like super dissonant? Yes. Dissonant and super yeah. famous. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I wonder if the influence. Well, it's, there's the possibility. It yeah. could be, yeah. 
But one of, one of my favorite things that I found, I have this 1997 editions of the Star Wars soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say that this is on there, but like hidden at the end of the first half or the first disc um, is like rehearsal clips. Oh. So it's them recording the, it's like them recording the theme for the first time. And he tried a bunch of different variations of the opening chord. And there's some where he like has a crescendo into it. There's some where he, you know, it, it's just... Straight forte? Yeah. Or fortissimo. Because in the movie, it's just... Bam! Ba-da-da-dum. But there were some where he's like... Ba-yum! Ba-da-da-dum. Or it, it, different variations like that. Mm-hmm. And they'll do different... Like, he, it's, it's clear he was messing around with different ways to do it. And I, I, I was like, this is the gift I didn't know I wanted. But the gift you have. Mm. But now it's mine. <laughs> Harry Potter is mine. <laughs> okay, Voldemort. <laughs> so, my transition like five minutes ago about John Williams and French horns, that excerpt from Jurassic Park. Dun, 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 that one? Mm-hmm. Dun, 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 dun. Is that... It's very pretty. It's one of your typical horn excerpts. Isn't it very hard, though? I don't know. I don't play horn. I also don't play horn. None of us here play horn. And I don't think I've ever played Jurassic Park, ever. I have played Jurassic Park. It's... I have. I always want to cry when I hear... It's really nice. It's so it's pretty. E.T. So e. is actually, I think, low-key... One of his best. Do, I played E.T. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because the, the, the entire scene at the end where they're riding their bikes and running away from the cops and stuff, mm-hmm. that the music for that entire scene is just like... It's very lush. Like, I think that's it, why yeah. you like Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. because he's very... It's, there's so much texture. It's majesty. Yeah, yeah it, it shows that majesty. Like, you're seeing a dinosaur for the first time. How do you personify that? Yeah. With lush strings. And I, yeah, that's, that's something string players love. Mm-hmm. I think that's also why I really enjoyed the Revenge of the Sith soundtrack. Because, mm-hmm. um, for instance, oh, what is it? I think it's Battle of the Heroes. Yeah. That's some articulation right there for trumpets. Oh, wait, no, that's Anakin versus Obi-Wan. Oh, it's the same scene. I know it's the same scene. But because they combine it together, but they duel the fates. So, wait, what's the right song? It's dum da dum 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 So it's like the same thing, but but the the intro is different. But yeah, like it's like a combo of like that and then like Duel the Fates. Yeah, and then he goes into Duel the Fates where he's like Oh, it's so good. Which is why I say I say that Revenge of the Sith is my favorite Star Wars soundtrack because he takes a little bit from every movie he yes. had done previously. Like, there's a little bit of each movie, mm-hmm. and that's what John Williams does really well. And that's what I wish the Harry Potter films did better, is because they changed composers so many times, they didn't keep a lot of what John Williams started with. Yeah, and, and they I wish could. they had. They could have, yeah, and I wish they, they had. Because that would have made the later ones feel more cohesive. Because yeah. John Williams solely did the first three and then the prequels, but then he did, I think, did he do... 
He did Force Awakens. He did the three sequel movies. He did all three of those. Oh, he did all three of those. Mm-hmm. So this has he done? Didn't. So did he do all the Star Wars movies? He he didn't do Rogue One and, and he, he didn't, didn't do Solo. Solo. So mm-hmm. basically the spinoffs. He hasn't done any of the spinoffs. But he does, has done all the main series. Yes. Mm-hmm. Plus but the even, ones that come out recently. Yeah, but even in like the spinoffs and like the Clone Wars TV show and stuff like that, where they have different composers, it still keeps a similar feel, and they keep a oh, yeah. lot of the. The opening of Tone Rogue One, I can't help but just hear that opening piccolo. And I'm like, oh god, yeah. <laughs> it's the main it's, title. It scares you. It scares so you. So what did bit. Harry Potter get wrong then? It it literally comes down to the fact, like if you were to listen to just, I'll say the last four Harry Potter movie soundtracks, mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't be able to tell it's just Harry Potter just by listening. No, like but the first three, maybe with Goblet of Fire two. Um, it's like, you're like, no question, this is Harry Potter. Like, easy. Mm-hmm. But the later films really don't keep a lot of the textures and the lushness and the harmonies and all that stuff. Well, like in Lily's theme, though, at the end of it. Yeah. That's like lush. That's it is. beautiful. But the interesting thing about that is that that's the first time we hear that theme is in the last movie. I know. It would have been a lot more impactful if that had been Lily's theme from like the, the first movie the entire theme? time. Right? And that's what we're, yeah, when we talk about how John Williams keeps his themes and brings them back into his later movies when they're significant again, if they had done that, with, they had given Lily her own theme in the first mm-hmm. movie, and then whatever composer brought it back in the last movie, then you're like, my feels, so emotional s- overload. So some interesting food for thought would be the, one of the biggest criticisms of the later Harry Potter films is that they're not as dense, they're not as lush. Mm-hmm. Is that a decision that was made on purpose, or is it a stylistic change, or is it's it? What little, do you think? I think it is a little bit of both, honestly. Could be because a lot of times, you know, the composers want to make the work their own. <laughs> the series is a coming of age story, uh, it's, so it's getting darker. You almost think that'd be more complex, though, right? Because mm-hmm. you you become as you become more of an adult, you, I think you become more of a complex individual. Yeah. And I think that's where they're lacking a lot is that it isn't as complex. It's a lot more, this is action movie music now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with the later movies in terms of their music. It's just, they don't feel like they fit in the same franchise. The Harry Potter movies, I think were kind of taken in that direction. They were, Mm -hmm. they became a lot more actiony than, Mm -hmm. and also they didn't have the same director. Yeah, the directors changed four times also. Yeah. Who so were the directors of, of the Harry Potter movies? Uh, Chris Columbus was the first one. Christopher Columbus. Not oh, yeah, I remember that from <laughs> in, in 14... No, the funny thing about Chris Columbus, the director, is he did uh, Home Alone also. But his film production company is called 1492 Productions because Christopher Columbus. Sailed the ocean below. So 1492, he, he, Christopher taking Columbus. Taking advantage of his name. Exactly. He really did. Um, but he it's was the cute. First, I like it. He did the first two. Uh, what's the guy's name? Alfonso Cuaron. He did uh, the third one. Mm-hmm. Mike Newell did the fourth one. And then David Yates did the last four. So why did they change directors so much? Again, probably mm-hmm. because they... they wanted to get new Perspective. blood. Yeah, it kind of makes sense, though, because like the first two movies are very similar in mm-hmm. a way. And then the third one kind of branches off a little bit. Yeah, and you can like when you watch them at all in order, you can tell. Yeah, like the style is very different between style, the movies. Style, like everything. Yeah, it's, it's also really interesting because I feel like the movies get they 
diverge from the books a lot more as they get further into the series. Yeah, and yes. par- part of that was due to the fact that not all the books were done as they were making the movies, so they yeah. had to kind of make changes. Oh, wait, really? The... Yeah, no. Yeah, they like... talk about this on Potterless, if mm-hmm. you want to listen to it. I think this was when... Ooh, this might have been during some of the movie episodes. I stopped listening during the movie episodes. They were not as yeah entertaining. But, they, yeah, they weren't fully finished yet, and mm. they were like, we need to write something. Hmm. Yeah. So that's why when people saw the movies, they're like, oh my god, I hate this because they took this out. Yeah, because there are some things in like the first four movies that come back that are important later in the last book but mm-hmm. the last book wasn't out so they were like oh well we didn't know like what were we supposed to do yeah so, it's just like how game of thrones was a yeah, giant flop like, i mean a lot of our series like harry potter are kind of doing like with this whole fantastic beast things like nobody really cares about them. oh yeah i was really excited when the first one came out and i was like okay, the first like, one was cute, cute yeah and then I watched the second. I did not even like pay attention to the second one. I don't think the writers paid attention to the second no. one because it made no sense. They're no. books, right? Books and movies. No. Are they yeah. just movies? Yeah, it's like a little. It's based off that. The uh, textbook. Yeah, there's a little textbook did. that they published for fun back mm-hmm. in like 2000, and J.K. Rowling looked at that and he's like, "Make a movie out of a textbook." Yeah. Fantastic Beast, and then there was the History of Hogwarts, I believe, and yeah. then History of Quidditch. Yeah, but it's not. It's not like they're stories. It's just. Like, yeah, it's a textbook, basically. It's literally like, this is what they buy in the universe of Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, let's use that as my movie. How do you make a movie out of that? Very badly, apparently. Yeah. And then I think they were trying to, like, intertwine it with Dumbledore. Yeah. And uh, Grindelwald. Yeah, Mm. they're, like, origin stories, right? Yeah. Which, if they had followed the seventh book more, would have been included in those movies. What I really want is this. And I, I mean, I really want them to do something purely based with Tom Riddle turning into Lord Voldemort. Because here's the thing. In the sixth book, they talk about before he turned into Lord Voldemort and he was still Tom Riddle and he was like going around like he was out of Hogwarts and everything, he then disappears. Mm-hmm. And I kind of really wish that there was a little bit more backstory to that. Like what was happening while he was disappear? Like what happened? Right. Yeah, because like, it is a little weird that like... Because they mentioned in like the second one, it's like nobody remembered that Lord Voldemort was called Tom Riddle. Yeah. So it's like, and where, they kind of where did he go? The, the and they first the sixth film, they and botched. They it. the sixth. The sixth I one ranked was not the like Harry. It. Yeah, I ranked the Harry Potter films too. Sixth one. Came Check out our Patreon. Last, yeah. Very last. Well, I don't know if we'll talk about that one this time, but uh, that is the that one came in last place. That's a me. conversation yeah. I could actually participate in. Yeah. Because the sixth book is so good. That's my favorite book. Mm-hmm. Really. It is. I love it. It's dark because it they really deep dive into Tom Riddle's backstory. Yeah. And if they just invested more time into doing that, mm-hmm. it would yeah. have been such a better movie. Mm-hmm. But they this were, could be an opportunity to do that. They were too busy trying to make it a rom-com instead. Oh, yeah. So, David and I are reading the Harry Potter books. He's never read them, and I did as they were coming out and as a kid. We're, on the, we're partway through the seventh one right now and i remember when i was a kid the fifth one was by far the worst book to me see reading it as an adult 
so much better. So yes. much better because so I, much I understand. Better. I'm like, oh, this is really shady political yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's, there's all kinds of subtext in the fifth book. Yeah, but as like, a kid, I was like, eh. Yeah, you're like, Harry, why are you being a little bitch? Reading it when like the election was happening is like, mm-hmm. not this past election, but the previous election. Yeah, I, when, you, when you're <laughs> talking to some, about someone like Umbridge, and then you, you actually see politicians acting like Umbridge, you're like, oh. Oh, no. I get it. Now. Oh, or no. when Fudge is incompetent and... You're just like, why does this feel real right now? Yeah. I finally know what incompetency is. Yeah. yeah. I think part of the reason they botched the sixth movie so bad is because they split the seventh one. Because the sixth one is supposed to be the build-up for the finale. Yeah. But instead, they had two movies, so like, I guess this next one's going to be the build-up instead. So the sixth one is just here because Carrie and Ginny gone fuck. Like... <laughs> <laughs> and it was really random too. Yeah, first of all, Ginny does not have any lines in the movies. So like like one word. Yeah, it's like really weird like out of nowhere yeah. that she's suddenly Because the a thing. the like the attraction that Harry feels for her is kind of happening in the fifth book a little bit. Yeah, it's sort of built up in the fifth book. And mm-hmm. then like they cuz he's hanging like he spent the entire summer in Sirius Black's house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole Weasley family was there. Yeah. Minus, uh, what's his name? Percy. Um, but yeah, there's like more character development and poor, what is it, her Bonnie Wright, whatever her name is. Yeah, the actress. She, oh God, it's like she just got. I mean, she got paid to stand in the movie and like look at people. Yeah. It's a shame. It really it is. It's a shame. And, and it's not on her. I mean, I'm oh yeah, sure she, that was she a could directing be the best actress script. in the world. We just don't know because she didn't get any yeah. lines. We barely saw Bill Weasley. Yeah, he, he, they cut him out of the first seven movies. And now he's in Star Wars. <laughs> like, Which they also botched him in that. Yes. But. He's just the token ginger. And, and they just make fun of him the whole time. So yep. <laughs> So did the directors change every time the composers of Harry Potter change? It do, no, it didn't line up directly. Because like John Williams did the first three. Chris Columbus directed the first two. Mm. So there's a little bit of... Overlap. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't always a director and composer shift. And the last, the final director had two different composers. So I don't really know about the, the, the other three composers. I don't really know how they found them or what, what they've done since. Yeah. Like, let me, let well, me Alexander pull up. Alexander uh, has done other films. Yeah. Alexander Desplat is probably the best known of those so other three. I can't get anybody like Hot and Summer to do it, you know? Well, is it, it, <laughs> unless we heard a lot of trombone, like, Argh! That's an ah. <laughs> or another string Austin on our words like We should do another one about Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer is an interesting one because he has like a team of people that do a lot of his work for him. So it's not always it's not always just him. It's like him and his team. Wasn't he Lord of the Rings? No, he was Howard Shore. We should we could do another thing with him too. Howard Shore is great. But Zimmer is like Pirates, oh, Pirates, um, Gladiator, Inception, all the Christopher Nolan films. Bat, yeah, the Batman's. Okay, we so we yeah. have a mini series. Yeah, yes. I mean, hey, I'd be here for it. That'd be fun. Um, but let me let me see Patrick Doyle, for example, because um, he was my other favorite one. I think Goblet of Fire has good music. Um, it's, it's, it's fire. It is fire. It is literally Goblet of Fire soundtrack is fire. <laughs> um, he's done Thor. Ah. Which Thor? The first Thor Ragnarok? movie. Ragnarok? No, the first no. Thor movie. Number one. Yeah. Oh. Natalie Portman. Yeah. And she's hot. She's very hot. That's exactly. part of the reason why I like Star Wars so much. That's um, why I like Black Swan. He did Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh. He did. With James Franco. Yes. He did the new Cinderella. Oh. 
the remake. The remake one. He did Murder on the Orient Express. Never heard of it. Um, it's a great it. book. I've read the book. Heard of it. Haven't seen um, it. Brave, which <gasps> I actually love that has, movie. That Such that has great. Film. The film is. Nah, I'll say the film is okay, Aww. but the music is really good. Makes me want to go to Scotland. It really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I mean he's done some stuff, but. What about the others? Um, let's see. Nicholas Hooper. Literally nothing that I've heard. It's a lot of BBC stuff. So he's British. Yes, he's Harry. British. Wasn't that a whole thing with the Harry Potter movies is JK was pretty insistent on hiring, at least I know what the actors, English only actors. Yeah, with the actors, yeah. Because yeah. the first direct, the first director was American, the second one was Mexican, so she wasn't mm-hmm. as... Yeah, I think it was different. just more with cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she Not just wanted so the, yeah, the people in the movie to represent her, whatever. Mm-hmm. Her, her British population, I guess. Yeah, they have um, to be real Brits. Yeah, because John Williams is an American too, so... I mean, That's true. So, literally nothing that I've heard of from this guy. What did Alexander Desplat Is it just... I know he... I'm pretty sure he did the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey movies. Really? I'm like... I think you might be right. Yeah, I'm 80% sure that was him. Because the Fifty Shades of Grey music is not bad. I... Yeah. You know, honestly, I only seen the first one, and I saw it once, and I haven't seen it ever since. I would watch them all again. I think it's on Peacock? <laughs> he did... Peacock, cock, cock, peacock. I want to see your peacock. Um, Speaking of, since you guys are in the middle of your Twilight uh, marathon, he did. (laughs) Did you? He did New Moon and. uh, I remember that. Just Hmm. just New Moon. It looks like. Yeah, because I remember New Moon came out around the same time that one of the Harry Potter films. Yeah, it's like I think it was Deathly Hallows Part One came out. Yeah, and I remember like I saw that and I was like, ugh. Yeah, he did Golden Compass. He did Little Women. um, The one that. The one that just came out, yeah. That was a good film. I Um, like that one. The King's Speech, Danish Girl. Um, So he's written for a lot of good stuff. Like really good films. Shape of Water. A lot of Oscar-nominated films. Yeah, I heard that The Shape of Water was very good. I believe it's on Hulu. It probably is. You should watch it. Yeah, I need to watch it. So yeah, he's done a lot of interesting stuff too. And I really love what he did with the last two films. Again, when after I saw... I remember seeing this part two, and it was right after I ate IHOP. And I was like taking out my Dumbledore costume. I love that that's a plot point in your story. (laughs) I just remember I saw the movie. I dressed up as Dumbledore. It was like the happiest moment ever. And then I went to IHOP and I was just soaking in like the high. Like, oh, this was amazing. And then right when I got home, I bought like the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And it's just, to me, it's, I think it's fantastic. I think. Yeah, he did a good job with it. With what he was given at the end. Considering there wasn't much buildup between the movies with the music, mm-hmm. he did a really good job. But that, that that's mm-hmm. one thing I wish that the entire series had done, was just build up its musical themes and keep the motifs. And so every character has their own musical theme or something like that. Yeah. And then at the end, you're like, oh my god, I heard Neville's theme. That means he's going to come in and cut up a snake or something. Yeah. It's just so good, like like the courtyard apocalypse when like everybody is like getting murdered, mm-hmm. and, like uh, <laughs> and everybody's <laughs> dying. It's the well, best like, scene. There's like these like I mean it's kind of sad because I think this was right after I read the book and I, they put into detail like who pat like who gets killed and everything or who mm. gets like cursed or whatever or whose arm gets bled off. I don't know, <laughs> but I mean it's just so sad because you're watching like Hogwarts get destructed yeah. and then you hear this da, na, 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 
it's just mm-hmm. like this continuous ostinato that just grows and grows to like like this is sad yeah. like a so. lament almost but there, there, there is a really uh really good youtube series on this exact topic on why the music doesn't feel cohesive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it's from a guy called inside the score that's his name did, yeah Ooh. that's his youtube name that's not um, his birth name. That's his birth name. It's on his certificate. Birth name. Inside the score, Smith. <laughs> Inside the score. <laughs> uh, no, but he, he, he's, uh, he's probably graduated by now, but I think when he started, he was in uh, music school at a conservatory somewhere in England. But he does a really good series on the music in Harry Potter and why it just doesn't feel like Harry Potter like music. cohesive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a unit. Like Star Wars music, it all feels like it's part of Star oh, Wars. Oh yeah. yeah. Lord yeah. of the Rings music, it all feels part of Lord of mm-hmm. the Rings. Pirates music, it all feels part of Pirates. Oh, Pirates of the Caribbean is so good too. Yeah. I guess I did notice that too because like I said earlier, Dave and I are reading the books. Whenever we finish a book, we watch the movie for that book. Mm-hmm. And I guess re-watching them, you know, the first three films, Harry Potter, as it gets on, it the music is different it doesn't seem very mm-hmm. harry potter-esque yeah. mm-hmm. it it definitely does change a lot yeah it's very obvious like the changes or where the changes yeah. came in it's like you said earlier it sounds more like action movie music mm-hmm. which yeah. i mean again there's nothing wrong with that and it's i think just... it suits the direction that the film was chosen to take yeah yeah but um especially really... with like goblet of fire like apart from williams's Three movies, uh, Goblet of Fire is my favorite one mm-hmm. because you know his the music still has a lot of um, texture to it. There's a lot of emotional and dramaticism that yes. comes out in that film, and I didn't realize it because I I didn't really, I guess I didn't really enjoy the Goblet of Fire as much because like one I think they were just really trying to be like oh they're teenagers now. yeah they, like, they tried to make a teenage boy action blockbuster movie yeah but like there's like some moments where like you know he sees Cho up in the tower um, oh, yeah specifically that piece is called <laughs> Harry in the Winter Harry in the Winter is yeah that when he's running up the stairs and he runs into Cho and it's like yeah that's my violin he's like will you go to the Oh, I just wanted to and she's like, I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. And she's like, sorry, I'm going with Cedric. <laughs> Harry. AKA. I really am sorry. I'm going with Edward Cullen. Basically. Oh. Low-key Cho was trying to get in on that before Bella. Yeah. Like, maybe oh. maybe this was, I mean, because Harry Potter was supposedly set in the 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm. So this so is the prequel. Hmm. Is, when he got killed, he became been. a vampire. Yeah. And vampires exist in Harry Potter. It's confirmed, so. Yeah. This could have been like a pre-Bella romance Mm -hmm. and that never worked out. Mm -hmm. And and Cho ended up not working out at all. (laughs) Yeah. Nope. I mean, mean, she's a... Oh, God, she's such... She's so annoying in the fifth book. Cho Cho is kind of a tool, but... Yeah. I mean, her her, her boyfriend died. That's pretty... Are they really that close? To be fair, death yes. is pretty final her, and scarring. Her, her, so. her boyfriend died, but then why did she like try to date someone else? Like, because you kind of right gotta move afterwards. On. You got to move on, but like, why are you doing that by dating someone else and bringing them down with you? I don't know. I feel like she's trying. She's she trying. was trying, but she's, she's also what fifteen in she, that book. So they were both, yeah, they were both. They both made a lot of mistakes in that I really date, don't, and I was like, mm, I really too. don't expect a fifteen-year-old to know how to process all of that. Like, yeah, that's, no. that's too much. But yeah, I know that the music from that is like it, my heart. It's, it's good. It tugs at your heartstrings. It's good. 
I guess that's as good of a place to stop as any. We're over yeah. an hour so right listen now. Listen to all of the Harry Potter soundtracks, and you can—I mean, you can tell mm-hmm. where the differences are, and you know, there's there is just a different feel, and yeah. the music from John Williams is, is like it tugs at my heartstrings every day. I was listening to it in the car on the way over here. Was, <laughs> to get in the headspace. Yeah, yeah. and I, was, I actually, it was bringing me to tears. It was close. I was like... I mean, like, he brings a lot of influence. There, I mean, there were moments when I was a kid growing up watching Star Wars mainly because, again, when Revenge of the Sith came out, I watched it so many times because of the music. And that, like, kept me invested of, you know, like, I wish I could play music like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that was the first time I remember conducting in my room by myself. And I do that all the time now. Yeah. But when I was listening to the third Harry Potter soundtrack, I was like, I want to be a conductor when I grow up. And, and so from that point on, it just kind of built from there. Now here you are. And you're not and wrong. Because so. you conduct kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I conduct adults sometimes, can, and that never goes well. You can <laughs> let them play Harry Potter and be like... I could, I could fulfill that dream. It goes full circle. And then... Uh, Do it for I was going to say, get your flutes to play Hagrid's Bird, but you don't teach flutes. Oh, just no. talk to the band teacher and give me some flutes. Um, I don't know if, if this is true for any other instrument, but the reason why those orchestral excerpts for John Williams actually shows up now in auditions for flute, like mm-hmm. Leia's theme, mm-hmm. because <laughs> it's a big flute solo mm-hmm. for that theme. And mm-hmm. then Hagrid's Bird, it's... Big. I think also um, one of the themes from War Horse is actually really? oh, wow. as well. I think after that happened, I saw like those excerpts a little bit more, like popping up more in mm-hmm. auditions. I mean, if you think about it, orchestras are playing like these concerts that play music by John Williams. Oh yeah, they play it all the time. Pop music is what sells. Yeah, yeah. and it sells fast. I think like whenever, every time the Colorado Symphony did their like Harry Potter like mm-hmm. uh, play-alongs. Sold out. Mm-hmm. Pretty Star sure Wars ASO. Yeah, ASO is doing a Harry Potter one very soon in February. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, uh, it's just I think it's Goblet of Fire. So I'm like, I think I'm gonna go yeah. to that. Yeah, and orchestras I'm like tickets for that. I don't know if Atlanta does this collaborate. anymore, but I know that Colorado, at least before the pandemic, um, the Colorado Symphony would play every year. They would, I like for instance, one year they did Empire Strikes Back and they played the film. Yeah, and they played the, the film. That's what the ASO is doing with the Goblet of Fire. Yeah, I think they're doing that this month with a Nightmare Before Christmas too. Yeah, huh. and that's what and the, the CSO does that too. So it's just like now that these because these this music is there for the masses and you know kids, adults they love this music. Mm-hmm. It's being played a lot more, and it's you know I think it's good that it's being asked to be in auditions. Yeah, and oh. John Williams' stuff is so like oh god, it's really challenging. When I first played Star Wars, oh. I was scared. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> I feel like pop pop music is sometimes looked down upon by classical musicians, but that's really what sells, and that's what the public is interested in. Mm-hmm. Beethoven's cool, but, but yeah, you don't want always want to listen to. And even me nowadays, like even after having gone through uh, music school, where we talk about all these composers mm-hmm. and music theory and stuff, I don't listen to you know Beethoven or you know Stravinsky or whatever as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just, I just can't get in the headspace for it as much as I used to be able to. When I play, like, pop uh, charts, like, you know, Star Wars, I, I remember when I did it in July for a concert. I just remember practicing it, and then when I was in rehearsals, I was listening to it, and I was just like, 
I really want to watch Star Wars right now. And that's yeah. what I did. I just binge watched the entire series. Mm-hmm. And it was it was nice because I was like, I love this series. It's my favorite. Yeah, it reminds you. It's like, oh, this is why I like This, this is why song. I like music. Yeah. Especially and, when you're burned out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like the best thing or my favorite thing to do with uh, John Williams music is go back and find the influences. Yeah. Like yeah. going back and finding the spots in Rite of Spring that he was thinking about when yeah. he wrote his music. Or going back and listening to Mars and watching somebody edit that over the clips from the movie and mm-hmm. see how it fits still. It's amazing. And yeah. It's so, it, it's it so fit, fun. It literally is like note for note. Like it fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, this is that's really cool to me. It's yes. Better. I didn't think I really noticed it until this last time I watched Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I was like, because when I heard The Rise of Spring, I was like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like the end of Mars. I was like, da-da-da-da. It's literally the last notes of the when the Death Star is about to explode. Yeah. So you're just like, Thanks, I, I see you, Johnny. <laughs> Quoting Holst, I see you. Thanks, Holst. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to us talk about John Williams and Star Wars. We hope y'all learned something. We hope y'all had a good time. Go watch. Go watch it. Thank you for listening to me uh, geek out about John Williams. Because how can you not? You, it's impossible not How to. Not? Like literally. Matt, is there anything you want to plug while um, we wrap up? As usual, uh, I will direct you over to my podcast. Mmm, conversations. Uh, we've been on a little bit of a break because of the school year and chaos and it's just too much. But we have a lot of exciting things for October planned. So awesome. uh, we are uh, going to be doing some interesting new ideas. Oh. So be on the lookout for that. Yay. All right. And tasty conversations. Yeah. Awesome. And if you have a second, maybe consider, you know, joining our Patreon because that's what we're going to do. We're going to record a Patreon episode about Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to hear me talk about more stuff that uh, I can talk about for 20 years. Uh, if you haven't watched Star Wars yet, um, go watch it. It's on Disney Plus. It really, yeah. It's, they're all there. They're all there. We'll see y'all in a few minutes. <laughs> and if you don't sign up for our Patreon, we'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.